God's Word this morning. We are in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. This is the Word of the Lord. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure, endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is, trust, is trustworthy, for if we have died with Him, we also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. For if, if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated this morning. We are journeying our way through this small letter, the second letter to Timothy that Paul wrote in a prison cell in Rome. This is the last letter that Paul would ever write. He's within days, weeks, maybe months of his execution. And so he's sitting here and he's writing, I've said this over and over again, he's writing to Timothy, who's in a church in Ephesus. And so Paul, he's the one that planted the church in Ephesus and then hand the reins over to Timothy and has been kind of coaching Timothy, discipling Timothy, how to lead a church. And then there's been persecution that's risen up against Timothy and the church from the outside. And also there's some discouragement and some persecution happening inside of the church. And so Timothy's getting really, really discouraged. And Paul addresses that in that first chapter. He's telling to Timothy, don't have fear. Don't have a spirit of fear. Don't be timid. This is going to happen. This is a promise to you. You will face persecution. And now the rest of the book is how do we endure through persecution? Remember in chapter 4, Paul says to Timothy, and he says to us, if you desire to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. So he, he's going to now say to him, he's going to say over and over and over again, well then how do we have endurance as we're persecuted? Because you're going to face persecution. So how do we face the endurance? Remember last week he gave those four things. This is what you do, you, you've got to be like an athlete. You've got to be hardworking like a farmer. Uh, you've got to be a good soldier. And so he's telling them all these encouraging things. And now this morning he goes back to say, this is how you do those three things, but you do it this way. And he uses this word. You can highlight it in your Bibles. Word. The whole text starts with this one word. And he's going to tell them to remember. Remember four things in this text. Four things he's going to keep telling them. But circle the word remember. The whole passage hinges on that one word remember. That word remember means this. To continue to call to mind. It's an ongoing calling. An ongoing remembrance of these four things. It's not like oh, I kind of remember that in the past. And earmark it. No. Daily I sit. Hourly I sit. Remembering these things. Because what happens when we face persecution, when we face trials, what happens to us? We quit remembering and we start seeing what's right in front of us. And because we can see what's what, what right in front of us, what happens to our hearts? They grow discouraged. They grow overwhelmed. 
The girl was seeing what's out in front of us, forgetting what lied behind us. And so Paul is going to say to Timothy, I want you to remember these four things. And look where, look where he starts. I want you to first remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. The first thing that we must continue, we must call to mind, is we must remember the power of a Savior. Because what happens to us, we quit remembering the power of a Savior and we see the power of Satan. But ha what happens is we begin to see Satan as more powerful than Christ Jesus, do we not, if we're honest with ourselves? How come? Because we get so preoccupied with what's going bad in our lives and what all that Satan is doing in our lives that if we're honest with ourselves, we see Satan more powerful than Christ Jesus. And he says to him, remember the power of a Savior. And he says these three things. Remember the power of the Savior first, Jesus Christ. Of all the things, all the titles, all the names that he could have said, he says these two things, Jesus Christ. The first is this, the word Jesus means Yahweh. What does Yahweh mean? God saves. He says, the first thing I want you to remember, Timothy, is this, that God saves. And what is he talking about in this letter? He's talking about he saves you from persecution. But do we, if we're honest, do we believe that God saves us in our persecution? No, we don't believe that. I know we believe it in our minds, but often we don't live out that reality in our hearts. So the first thing is, do you remember the power of a Savior, Jesus, the God who saves? And then he says this, he could have left that name off, he could have left the rest of the title off, but he says, Jesus who? Christ. What does Christ mean? Christ means the anointed one. The one that's been chosen by God to do the saving. That we have an anointed one, we have one with all power. And so Paul first says this, remember the Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying to him, remember that Jesus is fully God. He's not kind of God, he's not partially God. He's pointing Timothy back to the deity of Jesus, his equality with God himself. Which means then we have to take a full view of all the attributes of God because all the attributes of God are found where? In Jesus himself. I could pause there and preach for the next 50 years just on those two words. And all the attributes that come with that. And we will never find the exhausted list of all the attributes of God. But how does Satan not dummy down our minds to forget all the attributes of God? And that was given to us. Paul, Paul had just told Timothy in the first, all that has been given to us in our salvation. So all those things are free at our disposal. All the attributes of God are free to us. But then look what he says. He says not only that, not only is he fully God, but then he says this, he is also, what, the offspring of David. What does that mean? What would Paul need to put that little caveat in the text for? Because this, not only is he fully God, but he's also fully human. 
And what did it mean that he was an offspring of David? Remember the promise that God had made through the prophet Samuel to David and about David. He said to David, David, there's going to be someone even greater than you that's going to what? Reign on my throne forever and ever and ever. So what Paul is doing, he's not only pointing to as the offspring of David, but he's pointing to Jesus as what? The king. Now I think when we think king now, when we think queen now, we think the monarchy in Britain, that they're figureheads. They make a lot of money off the people. And they get in a lot of trouble and are always in the news. That is not what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about Queen Elizabeth. He's not talking about Prince Charles or King Charles. He's talking about the king that reigns supreme over all things. Like Jesus Christ sits on a throne and he has total authority and total reign over all of his kingdom. Which, what is this about the king then? Back then, the king meant one thing, protection. The, the king didn't just sit on the throne and send out his people. Remember what happened in David. Did it, David, it says this about David. David's greatest sin happened when he sat back on the throne and didn't go lead his people to conquer, the, conquer his enemies. And so Paul is pointing to Timothy to remember the power of a Savior, both the power of God and the power of Christ Jesus as the king, the protector over all things. And then he could have stopped there. He could have put a period. But what does he say about Jesus? He says, Jesus Christ, the offspring of David, what? Risen from the dead. That is what separates our Savior from every other God in the world. There's been no other God that has had the power to raise himself from the dead. Thank God we have a risen Savior. But how often in our discouragement are we not reminding ourselves daily that Christ Jesus is the Son of God who's come to save the Anointed One of God, the offspring, the King, the Protector, and has the power to raise from the dead. Now, I don't know about you. We could just pause, hit period on this sermon and be done with it. Are we being reminded? And are we remembering the power of our Savior? At the moment of your conversion, all this was given to you. And that is what Paul is reminding Timothy. At your salvation, it was way more than a prayer. It wasn't just you raising your hand or walking an aisle and praying a simple prayer. There was a union with the, 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 the God of the world that intersected with your heart that now gives you things beyond your comprehension. It isn't just uh, we're in a waiting cell waiting to get to heaven. All this is at our disposal this morning if you're a child of God. Which means at your disposal, you have the power of a Savior in that protects you, that watches over you, that will lead you, that will guide you, that will be with you in all things, at all times, in all places. Now, what does that do to your heart when you're going through persecution? That ought to bring us some level of peace. Is our heart at rest knowing that we have a Savior saved us, and now we have the power of that Savior in us? 
Paul says it this way in Colossians over and over again. He, he, said, he uses these two terms all the time. Christ is not only in us, but he's outside of us. And we are inside of him. Like there's this thing, I, I'm in Christ and Christ is in me and I'm covered by Christ and yet Christ dwells within me. There's this total package that protects me from all things at all times. And yet in my place of persecution, and oftentimes my persecution is not always outward. Most of the time it's inward. Like discouragement is persecution. Discouragement is distraction. And I've got to sit in a quiet place and be reminded of the power of a Savior. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul says, not only do I want you to call to mind over and over the power of a Savior, but I want you to do what? He says it in verse 9. He says this, this is what I'm in prison for. This is what I'm suffering for, bound with chains as a criminal. He's saying to, 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 uh, the, the, to Timothy, hey, I'm in chains because of the power of Christ. I'm a criminal. Now, he's not talking about a petty theft. That's not what the word criminal means there in the text. The word criminal means I am like a murderer to the Romans. That's how the Romans were treating Paul, was like a murderer, not like a shoplifter. Now, he was also a Roman citizen, so he wasn't supposed to even be treated that way. But they were so offended and so terrified about the, the, the advancement of the gospel, they treated Paul like a prisoner, like a criminal. And he's like, that's what I'm in prison for. What I just talked to you about, the power of the Savior, that's what I'm in prison for. Because I'm telling the truth about this. Remember what Paul did early in his life? Paul was the one putting people in prison for what he's now in prison for. He's like, it all came full circle. Now I'm being treated the way I treated other people. But I'm doing it because I, I had that moment on Damascus where my eyes and heart were open to the power of a Savior. But then he says this. He says, I may be a prisoner. I may be bound with chains as a criminal, but circle the word but in your Bible. But what? The word of God is not bound. So the next thing that Paul says he wants Timothy to remember is this. I want you to remember the power of the word of God. I want you to remember the power of the gospel. I want you to remember the power of the truth. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the, the division of the soul and of the spirit, the joints and the marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That is the power of God. And he's saying to Timothy, I want you to remember just how powerful the word of God is and all that the word can do. But how often do we come to the word of God and we don't remember its power or we don't believe its power or we don't want to interact with the power because we don't want it to bring conviction and correction to our lives. And Paul is saying to Timothy, I want you to sit, I want you to call to mind over and over and over the words of God. Remember what the psalmist said about the power of God. I've hidden your word in my heart that what? 
I might not sin against you. It's the Word of God being in us that prevents us from sinning against an almighty God. So if you have active, ongoing sin, I would say you do not have the active Word of God in you. Which means we've got to interact daily and we've got to put God's Word in us so that we will not sin against God. Are we remembering the Word of God? Not only that, it says this about the Word of God and the power of the Word of God. Isaiah, the prophet, said this from God himself. Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my words be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty. But it, the Word of God, shall accomplish which I have purposed, which succeed in the things which I have sent it to do. The Word of God is being sent into your life and my life with a purpose. And it will not come back void. So if you have a void life, I would say you do not have the Word of God in you because you cannot have a void life if you have God's Word in you. It will do what it was sent to do. It will accomplish God's purposes in your life. But are we interacting? Are we memorizing? Are we studying? Are we preparing ourselves around the Word of God, it does have power. It is like no other book. Remember what Hebrews says, the writer of Hebrews says, it is what? It is living and it is active. The Word of God is two things. It is alive just as much as the day it was penned as it is today. And it is just as active today as it was the day it was penned. Like we can read God's Word and we think, man, that was cool for them it helped them do things no it's true to you and me as believers today it is alive and is active if we do something with it if we hide it in our heart god's will and god's word never comes back void in our life and it will accomplish his purposes and we know it's being sent by god to us he's the one that sent it to you so if God sends it to us, it's going to do what God sent it to do. It's not like your child. Heck, it's not like me, I'll be honest. You ever been told, Jenny tells me this all the time, she'll ask me to go do something. I'm like, yeah, right. Oh, she, This happened last week. It did not go well for me. Was it last Sunday, Jen, you asked me to do something? Oh, Jenny's like, don't, don't bring me up to this. Last Sunday, I'm on the phone doing something. Jenny's like, I need you to do me a huge favor. I said, I got you. I should not have said that. I got you. She's like, I need you to grill two chickens for me. I'm like, yeah, I got you. So I got up from the couch to go get the chickens. Not, not real ones. Like they were de- I mean, they were real chickens. They were dead chickens. From the fridge and put them in. And then Cedar called me to do something. Do you think those chickens ever got grilled that day? No, because I had forgotten. I had a purpose but forgot. That is not true for God. God doesn't forget. God isn't distracted. When he sends out his word, it gets accomplished when and how he wanted it to get accomplished. Do we believe that to be true? The first two things, are we remembering this morning the power of a Savior? Are we remembering the, this morning the power of the word of God? And verse 12 says this. Let's look at it together. Excuse me, verse 10. Verse 10, he says this. He says, the word of God is not bound. Therefore, 
endure. Therefore, remember in your endurance everything. I remember everything for the sake of the elect, that which they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, I could preach a whole long time on that one word, elect, but the word elect means this, that God has a saving power for saving people. And God is in the business of saving people. But this is what this passage is talking about. It's talking about this. Do we remember the power of evangelism? The word of God is sent forth for one purpose and one purpose alone. It's to glorify God and to draw people to God himself. And so Paul is saying, I endure all that I'm going through. Everything that's happening in my life, I'm doing it for the sake of the elect. That's what they may obtain, the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. All that I'm going through, all this persecution is for the elect. But what Paul is saying in that statement is this. He is saying that it's not anything that I'm doing, but I'm being an instrument with the word of God to preach the word of God to lost people so God can accomplish what he wants to accomplish and that's to seek and save that which is lost. And God and his power and God and his sovereignty is the one that does the saving. It is God who saves. It is not my words that save. It is not your words that save. It is but God, the power of God that does the work. Therefore, we ought to have power in our evangelism because it doesn't rest on me. It rests on God and his power. Why? Because God is going to use his word to send it out to accomplish his purpose. And what did Jesus say? I've come to what? Save that which is lost. And Jesus, all over the book of John, is all I've come to do one thing. That's to accomplish the goal of my father. And the goal of my father is to save people. So whoever God draws, he's going to do the saving. And it's his word, not my words, that do the saving. Do we and are we being reminded of the power of the gospel? Are we reminded of the power of evangelism? You've got to remember Timothy is in Ephesus. And he must be in that church. And he must not be in this, the fruit of his preaching and teaching. And he must be getting discouraged. I'll let you know as a pastor. When we don't see people come to know Christ, it gets really, really discouraging. Like we get discouraged, like, man, I keep doing the same thing over and over and over, hoping to get different results. The secular world will call that insanity. The gospel will call that perseverance. Like I'm just going to keep casting out the seeds, hoping that God will accomplish his goals and purposes with the seeds that he's called me to cast out. But how often do we grow weary? Not seeing our lost moms, our lost dads, our lost sons, our lost daughters, our lost neighbors, our lost coworkers come to know him. And what we get discouraged. And in our discouragement, we stop casting out the seed. Because in some way, we wouldn't say this, but hey, I must not be doing it the right way. I must not be saying the right thing. I must not be created enough or cool enough or something enough. And Paul is saying to Timothy, it's not about you. It's the power of evangelism that comes in Christ Jesus. It's his words, not your words. So we not need to remember it's not about us. It's about him. Keep casting out the seeds, and God will do what God wants to do 
with his word, and that is to seek and save that which is lost. That is the whole reason that Jesus came and died. And that is the whole reason that the New Testament talks about over and over and over again. God wants to see lost people come to himself. The last thing is this. In verses 12 through 13, he says this. Verse 11, he starts. This saying is trustworthy. We must remember these four things. We must remember the power of the promise of God. Paul says to Timothy, what I'm about to say to you is trustworthy. Trustworthiness means it is as true as true can be. There is no altar in this truth that I'm about to tell you. He says there's four things that are true. There's four promises that we must remember. There's four powers in these promises. The first one is this. He says this. He gives four if statements. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. What a promise. If we die, what? With him. The key part in that text is those two words, with him. Here's the promise of all of us. We all will die. A hundred percent of all people that have ever walked the planet die. But it's the with him part that matters. Are we dying with him? Because he says this, because if we die with him, we what? We also what with him? Live with him. So the first promise that we see is this. If we die, we live. If Paul says it this way, in Romans chapter 6, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. He says it again in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and what? To die is gain. Do we believe in the promise that if we die, we die, but we live with him for all of eternity? Think about that mindset when it comes to persecution. If we have that mindset, though I die now, I'm going to live forever, we will do crazy things for the gospel. Because the end is not the end. The end is really the beginning of all eternity with God in heaven. What great promise is that? I don't know about you, but I can't wait to get to heaven. Like, I cannot wait that there's no sin. I can't wait that there's no death. I can't wait that there's no disease. But, but I also cannot wait to live with him today. Because all that's in heaven can be with me today. Am I living with Christ? And am I living to die because I know I will live? That's the first thing. The second one is this. Comes off the tails of what I just said. The second if statement is this. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If I endure, if I go through the persecution. There's something greater than the persecution that awaits me. You see, that's why Paul in that prison cell could say what he said in Philippians, could say what he said in Colossians, could say what he said in in, in, uh, Thessalonians. He always looked what was out ahead of him for the promise that awaited him. I don't strive for what lies behind me, he says. But I have run the race that's been set for me, and I cannot wait 
to be with Christ Jesus and have my eternal reward. Does that not change our persecution? Does that not change the finish line? That is what Paul is saying to him. And now he gets into some places that are like, man, couldn't you just stop? I, I, there's often times that the writers, I'm like, man, please just stop. Like, period, like, let's go to the end. But he says, but I got to tell you the truth. There's some other trustworthy sayings that we must know. He says this, but if we deny him, he also denies us. Like, ugh. Remember what Jesus said in the Gospels. The greatest sin is what? The sin of blasphemy. That is what he's saying here. You, if you deny me, I will deny you. I will go to the Father and say, I never knew them. If you deny Jesus now, there is a promise that he will deny you. If you deny him, you have no access into heaven. So it's you and I must accept him so we have access to heaven. May it not be true in our hearts that we deny him this morning because the promise is true. He will deny us. Now he goes and has this negative and a positive with the last promise. He says this, if you were faithless, he remains faithful. Oh, praise Jesus for that. Now he just talked about denying him. Being faithless is not denying him. Remember what happened to Peter. Peter in the upper room that night was talking to Jesus and they're having this conversation. And he, Jesus says to Peter, hey, you're going to deny me three times. That's not the text that we're talking about here. What, what he's actually saying, you are going to be faithless when it comes to me. You're not going to believe in me. You're not going to trust me. You're not going to follow me. You're going to be faithless. Any of us ever been faithless to Jesus? Like, know when we should have said something, when we should have said something, but in our own fear and trepidation, we didn't say what was pressed into our hearts. That's called faithlessness. And Jesus, through Paul to Timothy, says this, if you are faithless, it probably needed to say when you are faithless. Because we've all been faithless to Jesus, have we not? He says this, he remains what? Faithful. So even my faith doesn't rest in me, but it rests in the one who's faithful. Because what happened to Peter that night after the rooster crows, he went out and whipped, wept bitterly for his sin of faithlessness to God. But you remember a few days later, Peter's in a boat fishing. And he looks to the, to the shore, and what does he see? He sees Jesus sitting by a campfire making uh, fish tacos, I think. I don't know if Jesus ate tacos. I'd eat fish tacos in the morning. But he's eating fish in the morning. It does say that. He's eating fish. He's grilling fish in the morning. Peter sees him. What does Peter do? He gets so overjoyed, he takes off his coat, jumps in the water, and swims to the shore. And Jesus and Peter have this conversation about Jesus' what? Faithlessness. And he says to Peter, do you really love me? He says it that three times. And what Jesus is doing in the moment with Peter is restoring Peter's faith about Jesus himself. 
It's Jesus doing the work of his restoration to Peter, not Peter's restoration to Jesus. And Peter says, you know I do, you know I do, you know I do. And he says, well, then go do this. Stay faithful to me, is what Jesus is saying. And then what happens at the day of Pentecost? The man that had denied Jesus, who was restored to Jesus, then what? Stands up and, in my opinion, preaches the second greatest sermon that will ever be preached on this planet. Because what? The faithfulness of God in Peter's life. He can stand up and say all of his experience of who Christ is. And it says thousands upon thousands of people because of the faith that that Peter had in Jesus came to know him. Not because of Peter's faithfulness, but because of Jesus' faithfulness to Peter. That is true about you and me. All the times we have failed him, all the times that we've not been faithful to him, it says this, he remains faithful to himself. That is what that last piece of the text says. For what? He cannot deny himself. What can he not deny? That he chose you, that he drew you close to him, that he planted his life in you, and he will be sure to be faithful all the way to the end for your life, not because of you, but because of who he is. And that is what Paul is saying to Timothy in this passage. Hey, please remember these four things. And in closing this morning, I want us, as a way to application, ask these four questions to ourselves. Are we being reminded daily of the power of a Savior in our lives? Are we daily being reminded or remembering the power of the Word of God that He's given to us? Are we remembering the power of evangelism, that it doesn't rest on me, that it rests on Him? And are we remembering the power of the promises of God in our life? If so, we will remain faithful and we will have endurance through all the persecution of our lives. Remember what he says in chapter 4. Anyone that desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. But how do we endure through the persecution? It's through one word, remember. What are we remembering this morning? May I pray for us.